Prepositions matter. Prepositions matter. At least that's what my fifth grade teacher, Mrs. W, told me. Are you over the moon or are you on the moon? Are you over the moon or are you on the moon? One might be a state of mind while the other is a B-rated sci-fi flick, right? Are you next to the fire or are you in the fire? One is a state of warmth and the other burns, right? Prepositions matter. Thank you, Mrs. W. And they matter the more you care about something, right? Am I standing next to my wife or with her? Next to simply states my location. With goes further and states my relation to. See how prepositions matter? Roy Shiner gives a great analogy over prepositions in relation to our relationship with Christ. And I think it's a great jumping off point as we talk about our union with Christ tonight. So imagine yourself at an airport about to board a plane. The plane is on its way to sunny Melbourne, and Melbourne is where you want to be. What relationship do you need to have with the plane at this point? Would it help to be under the plane? To submit yourself to the plane's eminent authority and the whole flying to Melbourne thing? Or would it help to be inspired by the plane to watch it fly off and whisper, one day, that'll be me too? What about following the plane? You know, the plane is going to Melbourne, so it stands to reason that if you take note of its direction and pursue it, that you too will end up there. Of course, the key to the relationship you need with the plane is not to be under it, not to be behind it or inspired by it. You need to be in it. Why? Because by being in the plane, what happens to the plane also happens to you. The question, did you get to Melbourne, will be part of the larger question, did the plane get to Melbourne? See how it's a question within a question? If the answer to the second question is is yes, if you were in the plane, then what happened to the plane will also have happened to you. And I think at the heart, the biblical idea of being in Christ is something like that. According to the New Testament, to be in Christ is to say that by union with him, whatever is true of Christ is now true of us. He died, um, and we died. He is raised, and we are, and will be raised. He is vindicated, we are vindicated. He is loved, we are loved, and so on. And all because we are in him. Prepositions matter. Now, the writers of Scripture weren't air traffic controllers, and therefore didn't use the plain analogy. The analogy they were most familiar with was the analogy of marriage, which is littered across the whole of Scripture. Regularly throughout Scripture, our union with Christ is related to this idea of marriage. Ephesians 5, 25-31, I'm going to read it for you. Husbands, love your wives as Christ 
loved the church and gave himself up for her. Ladies, yeah, you want that, right? Yeah, I'd like that. Guys, you want to be that, okay? That's good. That he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It's like the most said verse at any wedding, right? And this is how he continues it, right after, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then he says this, This mystery is profound. Yeah, I get that. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. What? Thought we were talking about marriage here. But now we're like talking about our union with God. You see how it flips? Now, to the Roman Catholic, the idea of being closely tied to your Savior is like not new. That's not new. Any Catholic you bump into is going to be fine with these analogies. The idea of marriage as an image of our relationship to Christ is central to all Christian teachings. It doesn't matter what church you go to. Even some of the cults get this. They use these analogies. Okay? For Mormons, it's just a bunch of marriages, right? Um, that was a joke. But there are nuances. There are nuances here that, that make Luther and then Calvin's view so different than the Roman predecessors. For the Romanist... Our union with Christ was a fluid state. Okay, it was fluid. Believe it or not, there are days that I don't feel like I love my wife the same as the day before. Okay? Marriage can be a struggle in terms of emotions. I might feel like I love my wife one day more than I do another That's true to marriage. Okay, I hope you all know that. I don't want you going with a fairy tale. Every day's the best day and the worst day to come. That's not true, okay? Like, it's going to be fluid. There are going to be days you love a lot and love some, and some days you're like, I love you, but God love me, please, right now. And I'm sure many of you can say the same thing about your walk with Christ, right? When you look back at your walk with Jesus, there are days where you feel spiritually alive. And there are other days where, like, you just kind of want to mail it in. Like, okay, I know I should be in my Bible today, but I'm really not in the mood. That new Netflix series is on, and i got to binge it. Okay? I don't want to... Where Bible reading is the last thing on your mind. And even if you do think about it, there are things you'd rather do. And to the Romanist... This affected your union with Christ. You were either farther away or closer. And it's how many uh, it's how many of you feel in the Christian life, right? It's much more like a journey through the mountain range, the Christian life, with its highs and lows, valleys and peaks, than it is a stroll through the desert. <clears throat> but like the peaks and valleys, it's the valleys that we see some of the most rich growth. And the peaks where we have the best views and perspectives. Unlike a desert, which is dry, dead, and empty. Okay? 
How often do we feel like we need to be closer to God in order to have a relationship with him? How often do we feel like we have to be closer to God in order to have a relationship with him? If I only read my Bible more, then I can start going to church more regularly. If I just conquer this sin, then I'll definitely be able to be close to Jesus. That's not the Christian life. Do you ever feel fear the fall after a spiritual high? Man, I can't wait for this weekend. It's going to be awesome. But I'm scared about Monday when it starts to wear off. Do you live like your union with Christ is dependent on your performance? I know I do, right? Like, I'm a professional Christian. Like, they pay me to do this. And, and then, you, then you might need some modern Luther, if you think those things. See, for the reformers, they added a distinction, like any good lawyer, added a distinction. They agreed that surely there is a wavering feeling in our closeness to Christ. No one denies this. Okay? But to them, there is an important difference between union and communion. Union and communion. Because you don't have to go the tonight. And I want you to get this point. Everyone say union. Union. And communion. communion. Therefore, when you get in the car with your folks and they say, what you learned tonight? You'd be like, well, I learned the difference between union and communion with Christ. And they're like, oh, okay, that's good. Okay? Communion with Christ is meaning the actual enjoyment of Christ. And it's something that fluctuates between with believers. Sometimes our hearts are full of hallelujahs. Sometimes they're frosty and I'm feeling towards them. That wavering worth of communion, however, was not seen by the reformers as the foundation or essence of our union with Christ. Quite the opposite. The Puritan Richard Sibbs is perhaps the most notable work on the Song of Solomon, written from the point of view of the Reformation. Put it like this. Union is the foundation of communion. Union is the foundation of communion. In Reformation thought, union with Christ is a fixed and therefore stable thing. A solid foundation on which we can have lasting joy. You are not the center of the universe. I know I bring this up occasionally and I know it's semi-offensive. But you're not. You're not the center of the universe. Okay? Like... You're not here, and this is not God rotating around you, okay? And it's not like, I oh, know, it's really me. I'm the one at the center of the universe, and you're all. I'm not saying that, okay? But what I am saying is that it doesn't revolve around you. You are not the center of the universe, and God is not your moon. God is at the center, and you are his moon if you are with Christ. And you are in union with him, locked in orbit. <clears throat> you ain't going away, okay? You're locked in. What makes you feel close or far away, here it comes to prepositions again, whether you are on the far side of the moon or the close side of the moon, the light side of the moon. But the moon has not moved and the planet has not moved. Your perspective has. Your communion, for at least a season, might have. And that should be encouraging to you. That should be really encouraging to you. You might feel far away from God. But that does not determine your worth to Christ. It does not determine your relationship to him. You are his. This is what was so freeing to Luther and the reformers. Our union with Christ is not affected. So here are 
three quick things I want to explore. And I might, by being quick, I trimmed these royally. Okay? So here are the three things I want us to explore. One, you are with Christ. Preposition. You are in Christ. Another preposition. Christ is in you. Third preposition. Okay? So you are with Christ. Your verse, Galatians 3.27. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. This is called the great exchange. Okay? You're the sinner. You're unclean. You're dirty. Okay? It's bad. God can't touch you. Here's Jesus over here. Lives a perfect, sinless, spotless, beautiful life. Okay? And he takes your filth. On the cross. Dies for your sins. Wrath of God poured out on him. And his clothing, which is still righteous, is put on you. And you now see as righteous. It's a great exchange. It's awesome. Okay? Um, You are a sinner, unclean, and God makes you glorious. Okay? And he willingly takes your filth of sin at the cross and in return gives you glory because your worth is with him. You are clothed with his glory. That's what that verse says. You are clothed with his glory. Two, you are in Christ. Verse 8-1. Therefore, there is no now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I love that verse, right? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say no communion. It doesn't say no, like, it, no, you're there. He's yours. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This goes back to what we were talking about a few weeks ago, if you remember. This idea that sin is a disease that needs to be cured with a daily dose of medicine. But it's the deep incurable disease that's the problem, and that, that's who we are. It's, it's a who we are problem. That's why the Romanists get this wrong. It's what is in us, sin, but Christ removes the sin. I'm not doing the whole Louis Giglio Tupperware thing, but it's a good analogy. So this is you, okay? This is you. It's you, okay? It's you. It's you. It's you. You got it on the top of your head, too. You, okay? And the symbol for sin that I picked up is... Uh, what we call, this is a coffin key. It's what we call it. And I figure sin is death, and that's a coffin key. So Jesus takes the sin out of you, removes you. Hallelujah. Now, but he doesn't just leave you here, like floating around. Christ removes the sin from you, and then here's Jesus, okay? Here's Jesus, okay? Jesus. It's a cross. It's the short term for Jesus. If you look at any of my uh, note cards that I'm studying for ordination stuff, that's Jesus, okay? And you go in him. Shuts the lid. Boom. Bada boom. You're in him. You're in Jesus. You're in Jesus. So when God looks at you, he mostly sees his son. Where's that? Where's the sin? I can't, no, can't see it clothed with righteousness. In Jesus. These prepositions are pretty cool, right? Like, I like this. I'm like, I'm in. I'm in. What was killing us is now gone, and what brings life, we are now incubated in. But it doesn't end there. Point there is that Christ is also in you. Like, that's point three. So, like, we could bust this out, open you up again, pop Christ in you, close the lid, close you in Christ. And now Christ is in you. You are in Christ. This is how connected you are. To where, in a sense, as Christ sits at the right hand of God the Father, part of you is standing before the throne of God the Father as he relates to you to the Father. That's, that person's mine. Your union with Christ 
is that locked in? Okay? In Reeve and Chester's book, Why the Reformation Still Matters, they really hammer down this point. This is what they say. Far better than having a few sins washed away, those who are reborn in Christ are so united to him that they cry out with Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. It is I who no longer live, but Christ who lives, where? Preposition, in me. Galatians 2.20. For if we are united to him, then we have been united to him in his death. In the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That's Galatians 6.14, Romans 6.3, Colossians 2.12. In him we have died to sin. We have been crucified and condemned. We have already endured the full punishment for all. Moreover, we share the vindication. That's the victory. We share in the recovery of what is should be whole. Um, we share that he received on the third day when he rised again, declared righteous, and was accepted. We're united to him. We share in his new life and the very righteousness of God. And this is what Rome scoffed at, right? This, that because of this union, they thought that you'd no longer strive for Christ. Okay, well, if you really believe this, Luther, then what's people's motivation? Okay? You would feel the need. You 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 would feel that the need of Christ because you've moved past the need, right? That's the fear. Oh, now you don't need him anymore. But the vine always has need of the branches. The vine always needs the source of life to bear fruit. The vine longs for the connection. Okay. So, well, the branches long for the connection to the vine. Okay. Like we are um, the branches. He is the vine, and we are connected to him. And to him, he lives within us. So that we can do his work. The reason we can do anything good is because of this, right? We can't do anything good with a bunch of sin in us and it's just floating around as empty Tupperware. Okay? Okay? So to go back to the airline analogy. To the Catholic, yes, indeed, we're heading to Melbourne. But it is as if we're following the Lord. I'm gonna, I like that plane. I want to go where that one's going, right? Okay? He has shown us the way, but he isn't delivering us to the same delivering us the same way the reformers would say. He may have inspired you to take the journey. He might have even attached you to a plane with a rope with a hope, right? But he's not going to put you in the plane. You can still lose your salvation. Or the flight might be full and you might have to take the next one or get yourself cleaned up somewhere, you know, on the way. Or the plane might have to get off at a halfway point. And you might have to work off your sense of purgatory, and then you get on another plane and you finally get to heaven. So go back to the Tupperware analogy. So Christ is in you, you are in Christ, and Christ is part of the triune God, which means you're in God. Okay? This, it says nursery supplies, which if you think about what God would contain, yeah, in some ways we're a bunch of babies. Okay? So, like, this is God, which this is the Greek shorthand for God. Okay? This is God. He's big. Okay? He's big. Because you got to fit all of us, right? And you open this Tupperware, toss Christ and you in there, pop the lid on, because God's complete. Lid's not coming off. We just come in. Nothing's going out. So, if you're in there, what does that mean? Who can touch you? The devil? Devil doesn't use Tupperware. That's why everything spoils that he touches. Okay? The world? How can the world get to you 
when you're in Christ and Christ is in God and then Christ is in you. It's not going to happen. Okay? You're united to Christ. Do you think you can fall away from Christ? Look, if you're in Christ, there's no chance of divorce. There's no chance of betrayal. He has, a, he has you in the palm of his hand. He won't let you go. There, there is such assurance. That's your assurance. Your union with Christ is assured because God is with you, in you, and you are in him. Prepositions are important. Any fifth grade teacher would tell you that. <laughs> 